Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulihi al-kareem wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in ama ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, welcome back to another Umfeed podcast with your host Shabir Hassan. Uh, alhamdulillah, super blessed to be here uh, today, especially because we have a very, very special guest. Uh, someone who doesn't really need an introduction. Uh, he's a founder of Safar Academy, as many of you know of, especially those of you who are living in around London. Uh, and it gives me great pleasure for today's episode uh, to welcome our dear Sheikh Hassan Ali. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you? Good, good, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, thank you for joining us. No, first nice time to be, here nice at the to be here. studio. Nice to be here, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. You know, um, the first um, time, because uh, obviously I've been, mashallah, I've been listening to your lectures and watching videos for a long time now, many years. I think the first time I ever came across one of your like lectures or clips is someone that sent something to me and it was uh, out of all things it was a gin story that you were telling right <laughs> so this is the first exposure i had a lot of people actually say that yeah, yeah. really so this is so i i listened to it and obviously it's a crazy story we'd, we'd want to go into because we don't want to scare anyone off uh, at the beginning of the podcast um but um subhanallah like since then i've been following um a lot of your stuff but since we're since we're on that kind of uh, topic on jinn for example and because a lot of our discussion today is going to be about spirituality mm-hmm. i just wanted to ask uh, and it's probably a question you get asked a lot in terms of um actually just protecting oneself from jinn or from shayateen and and these t- these types of influences so cuz a lot of people i think what they do is they kind of either come when it's like too late mm-hmm. kind of thing like there's already there's already a problem that they're facing and that's when they'd come to the sheikh or the imam or the raqi and ask for something um but do you think it's more of a case that uh, people should be protecting themselves every single day uh in case what would your kind of advice be to to start with well the thing is uh, our religion has been done in such a way that you've got protection all the time if you're following the religion if you mm. look at rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam though he was the most spiritual person ever to walk walk the earth prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam after fajr after maghrib he was doing his duas for mm. protection right and and these are the duas that if you do them after maghrib after fajr then you're adding that extra security and protection and these are duas from all evils mm. um so one of them that he used to do is the three quls So qul huwallahu ahad three times qul adrib falaq three times qul adrib nas three times mm. he used to read that after fajr and after maghrib uh, there's uh, other ahadith to tell us bismillahil ladhi la yadurru ma'a ismihi shay'un fil ardi wa la fi as-sama'i wa huwa as-sami'ul alim again three times he used to read after fajr and after maghrib and he said you know it's, it's again uh, protection from all harms aw kama qala alayhi salatu wassalam so these are things that he used to do but then what people don't understand is that the religion is something that is very sort of um you know it's not something which you look at as 2d uh, mm. the religion has many dimensions and one of the things that we want to speak about about this whole spirituality thing again is that even spirituality shouldn't become two dimension mm. uh, what three dimension or four dimension is that you take your fiqh you take your aqeedah you take your spirituality mm. put it all together and then you actually get a proper religion mm. okay and that's actually famously um uh, encapsulated in that hadith jibril mm. jibril alayhi salatu wasalam when he came and he said mal islam what's yeah. islam then he said mal iman what's iman then he said what uh, mal ihsan mm. right and interestingly mal islam is actually your fiqh because that's the outer part of the religion yeah. mal iman is your aqeedah 
So mm. that's what what's iman. That's your inner, you know, understanding and and connecting your mind to Allah. Yeah. And mal ihsan is actually spirituality. Mm-hmm. What's what's this? You know, what is this ihsan that you know? What is that? And he says that you should be always be in a state that you're, uh, you know, uh, serving Allah or, or worshiping Allah as though you see Him, and and maybe you can't do that, so you should mm-hmm. know that He's He's seeing you. So that's ihsan. So then, in, interesting enough, in the end of the hadith, the Prophet Allah says, ذلك, جبريل, That's Jibreel who came to teach you your religion. Yeah. So Prophet Allah is saying that the religion, the deen, is actually comprised of these three parts. Mm. The Islam, the Iman, the Ihsan. So what happens in our society is that some people think that Islam is just go and pray, do your hajj, do the five pillars only. Yeah. Right? So pray, do Ramadan, you know, fast in Ramadan, uh, give your zakat, and go to hajj and that's it. You're 100% complete Muslim. Mm. They've only got, uh, if, if you like, a third of Islam. Okay. There's others who are, you know, gone super aqidah sort of nuts. Okay. <laughs> so they're like, you know, they've taken Iman, they've, they've split the hair of Iman and they've split it again, split it again, split it again. But they've got lost in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, they've done a good job, which is they're, they're trying to boost their Iman mm. and they've got a third of the religion. And there's others who've gone crazy and probably flying in the air with the, so, with all this kind of ihsan and spirituality yeah. and so on. Uh, and some of them call it tasawwuf, but let's just call it ihsan for this for this series. Okay. Uh, and they've gone they've gone super crazy on that level because what yeah. they've done is they've they've left out the other parts. Uh, you know whether the aqidah is not right mm. or they've got the the fiqh is not right. Uh, the outer part uh, is not right, and they've just got you know spirituality, and all three are wrong. The right religion is to marry the three I into see. one. So when it comes back to your 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 question about the jinns and so on. Um, what people people think? Oh, like you said, last minute. Let's go to Raki now because yeah, he's yeah. just going to blow on me and give me something, <laughs> and everything's going to be back to normal. Yeah. Well, where's your religion? Mm. No, where's your practice of the religion? So, if you're practicing religion, I'll give you. I'll give you in a nutshell. Number one is you're not supposed to be scared of jinns. Mm. Uh, jinns are always scared of us. So, if you've got a strong willpower, no matter. I tell you one thing: if someone's not actually that religious, but they've got a strong willpower, jinns will never attack that person. Really? Yeah. That, that's that's bottom. I mean, I'm not asking people not to practice religion, but if you've got a strong willpower, yeah. that's 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 you know that's that's a very strong thing you can have against the jinns because mm. they they they're really scared of humans. No, but but that's not going to save you alone, right? Mm. But number two is if you are a person who's always remaining clean, like the Sharia has told yeah. you, and you know you're removing filth from your body, from your environment, from your you know surroundings, and so on. Jins have bad jins have a very very. When I say jins, I, I need to qualify this. There are good jins and are bad jins. So yeah. when we're saying jins, we're saying bad jins here. What won't actually attack you? And number three, the most important is when you're doing all your prayers and everything else, and your spirituality is there, then it's almost impossible for bad jins to to come to your company because mm-hmm. they get burnt. Uh, if they come towards you because of the nur and the light that you've received from reading the Quran and from doing your dhikr and remembering Allah Azza wa Jal. Wow. See, that's already, going back a few points, it's a very interesting take on things because I've spoken to like, I've asked people a lot about this. Like I've had some people come to me, some scholars as well, where they've said they're a bit frustrated because they're they're very much kind of, they want to implement tazkiyah, even like in, into like a syllabus, for example, as many madrasas, darulums, maktabs, etc. So like, why is it that like I've been to Medina, I've been to Egypt, I've been to India, and they don't kind of implement Tazkiyah per se as like a subject 
it's it's always uh you know it's it's it's, it's never really kind of um it's, there's never really an emphasis on it but then you have others who have argued well kind of similar to what you're saying which is it should kind of be embedded anyway so when you're teaching quran when you're teaching hadith spirituality and tazkiyah or ihsan it comes with it so what would you say is are you kind of saying that let's say in the teaching now if we're teaching whether it's kids or whether it's adults would you say that we should teach this separately like we should teach du'as and stuff or would you say kind of embed it in everything so so you got to understand the history of what happened mm. so in rasulullah's time so. you got everything together where you took the outer part of salah you took the khushu and you took the devotion with it mm. um, where you took um, anything in the prophet's time whether it was the adhan whether it was you know even giving sadqa looking after the you know the, the the people who are poor and so on there's always a spiritual side to it in terms mm. of how you think how you have your outlook on them how you treat them how you sort of you know give them and so on and so forth right what happened after Prophet time is that all these different sciences took on uh, you know, a whole load. They, they became so great that mm. it became very difficult for everyone to study all of them together. So they started to compartmentalize it. Yeah. But eventually, every person was actually going and completing everything. So they would do their fiqh with a fiqh teacher. They would go to an aqidah teacher, do the aqidah. They would go to a spiritual teacher for their spirituality. Uh, they would go for the nahu and sarf and their grammar mm. to another teacher. But they eventually completed all of them. Uh, what then happens is, centuries later, uh, unfortunately, by the time it got to, like, let's say, the, for example, the 5th century, where Imam Ghazali's time came. Uh, and, and this happens because human beings, as they evolve, you get into certain things that... You, you just miss out on other things. Mm. So by Imam Ghazali's time, what happened is that people either got into just knowledge, 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 knowledge without the spiritual dimension or they got into the spiritual, spiritual, spiritual mm. without the knowledge dimension, right? without the fiqh, the correct yeah. aqid and so on. So that's why he wrote the Ihya Ulum al-Din, like to revive the, the sciences of, of the deen. And even Ibn Jawzi, uh, rahimahullah, who was... Very, who seemed to be anti sort of Sufi and anti spiritual, mm. he actually wasn't. He, he wasn't. He was only anti those people who took on the spiritual dimension but left out the fiqh and left out the aqidah and, and gave little sort of relevance to, to the other side. Mm. Okay, because there, there's a real danger. Um, uh, and Imam, Imam Shafi, rahimullah, you know, they've had this big sort of clash. Imam Shafi, rahimullah, he, he, he sort of. Um, he, he summarized it in a little, little saying. Mm. He, said, um, he, he, he said he said that the, the, the sort of two sides, okay So there's a, there's a person who has who has got the, um, the, the, the spiritual side and there's a person who's got the sort of the, the, the fiqh side, fiqh side yeah. And he said, Fakihun Sufiun Fakun Wahida. He said, whether you want to become a jurist with fiqh, or whether you want to become a spiritual person with Sufism, what, what is termed as Sufism. And again, when I say Sufism, we have to say that yeah. this is not to do with grave worshipping, this is not to do with um, you know, uh, any bid'ah, any shirk and so on. This is yeah, not to do yeah. with that. So I want the listeners to understand that you know, this, this term is quite loaded. Mm. So I want them to understand when Imam Shafi mentioned this, he's talking about the real spirituality, mm. clean of shirk, clean of bid'ah. Yeah. Okay? So he said, a faqih or a Sufi, he said, do not become any one of them. Mm. Uh, um, because he said, I'm giving you some advice. 
right? And the advice is, he said, فَهَذَا رَجُلٌ لَمْ يَذُقَّ tuqa. He said, as for this man, his heart hasn't actually tasted taqwa, meaning that the jurist, the jurist is sitting with hard text, mm-hmm. with laws, and, and he his, his heart hasn't softened up to the, to, to the, um, to the Sharia aspect of, of Ihsan and, and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And he says, وَذَاكَ جَهُولٌ He says after that, that is a man who is ignorant, meaning mm-hmm. the Sufi, um, or, or the person who's, who's spiritual. وَكَيْفَ ذُو الْجَهْلِ يَسْلُحُ He said, how will the one who is of ignorance, who's full of ignorance, how is he going to find a straight path? How is he going to rectify himself? Mm-hmm. Right? So what Imam Shafi was trying to say, again, show is that you've got these two extremes. They have either the one or the, or the, or the other. So by the time you got to, um, you know, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, his time, and, and a lot of people think that Ibn Taymiyyah was, again, anti-Sufi, anti He wasn't. He, mm-hmm. he himself was a very spiritual person, but he also, you know, had a great inclination towards Hadith as well. Mm-hmm. So, he, again, a lot of the writings against these people were those who took on an extreme. Who went through spirituality, but they but they had little regard for hadith, little regard for for the fiqh side and so on. So then, ulama came up. Now throughout these ages, they came up with two things. They said that there is a sharia, which is a legislation from the Quran and Sunnah. But there's a tariqa, there's a, there's a pathway that you have to take. Now again, I don't want people to misunderstand this mm. and think, oh, tariqa means that oh, we've got to get into some bayah and pledge. No, no, no. What we're saying here is, mm. tariqa is what Surah Fatiha has told us. So Surah Fatiha tells us that. Um, surat al-mustaqim, you know, give me, guide us with a straight path. Mm. But then it says, surat an'amta alayhim. Give us a pathway that has been trodden and that has been that has that, that been trodden over by the people whom you have favored. Mm. So these are the nabiyin, siddiqin, shuhada, salihin, those people who yeah. are most close to Allah. So those people who have trodden on this path, they are actual individuals. What that means is, subhanallah, it means that. Like Ihdina Surat al-Mustaqim, they say, what's Surat al-Mustaqim? They say Surat al-Mustaqim is actually the Qur'an, mm. right? Because in, in Surah mm. Baqarah, at the beginning, it says, Thalika al-Kitab la The reason mm. why it says Thalika is that Thalik, that Surat al-Mustaqim, which you asked for in Surah Fatiha, is Al-Kitab, this book now, from Alif Lamim all the way to Qulad al So that's Surat al-Mustaqim. Mm. But in order for you to embody Surat al-Mustaqim, you can't stick to the text. So that's why the Quran in Surah Fatiha says, Surat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim. A qualifier is that I want to now be able to embody or take or understand this Surat al-Mustaqim and take it in my life through the people who have trodden on this pathway. Mm. Right? They are real people. So I've got to look at the Sunnah of the Prophet yes. I've got to look at the ways of the Sahaba, the ways of the Tabi'in, Tabu Tabi'in, the, the pious predecessors. I've got to find real people who've embodied both sides. And by following and being in the company of these people, you get the real, you know, ihsan and real spirituality. Okay? Mm. And that's what is, you know, that, that, that's what I mean uh, by w- w- when I say that it has two dimensions the sharia, which is the legislation, and the tariqa, mm. which is a pathway of those people to be in their company and follow them. And that, that's real spirituality. See, that's very deep. And uh, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of people won't look at it like that. A lot of people don't okay. know this. Um, so, because uh, you mentioned a couple of terms. So, for example, you've mentioned Ihsan, which is taken from that hadith, right? And uh, you've mentioned Tazkiyah as well. Tazkiyah, which we could say it means like purification of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Again, you could say it's taken from the Quran. But then you mentioned Tasawwuf, and then you, you really had to kind of define it mm-hmm. um, with Tasawwuf because of all the other, you know, people have different ideas of what Tasawwuf means. So, would you, would you differentiate between all three? Would you say all three are the same? 
No, they're different. They're different. They're different. Okay. So, so uh, again, so let, let's look at them one by one. So, mm. tazkiyah is, yeah. is a term from the Quran, okay. where where the Quran has said the Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi He recites the verse of the Quran onto them. So that's your whole tajweed, mm. um, and and specifically about. Uh, when they recited the Quran, they also had an understanding of the Quran because these mm. were Arabs. Yeah. But then it says, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابِ Though they were Arabs, they understood the Quran as it came down. They had to be taught what the book meant. Mm. Because uh, the Quran sometimes will say something, but it's metaphorical. How would you know as, as a... Uh, linguist of the Arabic language, what's literal and what's metaphorical. So mm. that's why you need to learn from Rasulullah what it actually meant. Uh, then the next thing is al-hikmah. You might know your knowledge and you have another problem here. The problem is that people have knowledge, but how do you know which knowledge to apply where and where not to apply it? Mm. Right? This, is, this is another science. Yeah. Like to have that wisdom, like, uh, you know, wisdom of, okay, here I shouldn't mention this. Uh, let's say, for example, I'm in front of someone uh, and this person is, you know, he's probably a gangster. He's, he's going to be, he's off the dean. If at that moment I give him a hadith of hellfire, I'm probably going to be chasing him to hellfire mm. because he's already away from the dean. He, he yeah, doesn't yeah. need a hadith of hellfire. He needs a hadith of paradise at that time. And when you find a pious person who's already in the masjid and already worshipping, and he's got this kind of arrogance in him that he's better than others. At that mm. time, giving him a hadith of Jannah is probably going to take him to hellfire again because he's already full of his, he's got this arrogance of piety. Mm. So at that, that moment, you need to give him a hadith to remind myself and him about pious people who might think they're pious, but then, you know, they, they could be going to hellfire because of some little mistake that they make. Mm. So this is hikmah. This is to know when to apply, what to apply. That's so that's right. a separate science of a hadith, you know, sorry, separate science that Rasulullah taught the Sahaba that you've got to have your wisdom as well, not just your knowledge. Mm. Then separately, Allah says, وَيُزَكِّهِمْ He purified them. Now, what? why did Allah say purification separately? Tazkiyah, mm. right? to the tajweed, the, the, the recitation of the verse, understanding the Qur'an, understanding the, the context of the Qur'an, and understanding wisdom. Why? Because you could have all of this, and then you could have inside your heart pride. Mm. You could have inside your heart racism. You could have inside your heart malice. Or you could have enmity. You know, whatever it might be. Mm. Jealousy. These kill people. You've got knowledgeable people with jealousy. Knowledgeable people with arrogance. So mm. that's why it's a separate task to go through uh, companionship. See, what, what changes Sahaba is companionship. And I want all the viewers to understand that, look, no matter who tells you that, oh, you've got to join this particular pathway to get your tazkiyah, whatever. Look, end of the day, companionship is the thing that changes us. Mm. Whether it's good companionship or bad companionship. So if you, st the more of a pious person or righteous person you find in your life, and the longer period of time you spend in their company, this doesn't have to be lecturing. Mm. This has to be real, sitting with them, talking with them, yeah. silence with them, watching them, observing them, uh, sort of molding your habits towards their, their habits, um, conforming to the ways that they have. That's what tazkiyah is. That's what the real spirituality is, mm. where, where you change yourself. Now, this is what the Sahaba did with, with Rasulullah okay. That's That's what made them Sahaba, because of the Sahaba, yeah, the companionship, yeah. right? That's what Sahaba means, that they mm. were companions. Um, now, somebody out there might say, well, I, I don't know anyone like that. So what, what do you do? Well, if you don't know anyone and you can't find anyone like that, 
then the next step is to find maybe people who are of a less lesser degree than that and and join their company mm. if you can't find that then then you need to by consultation of your local imam find which scholars you should listen to on the internet and other things and try and remain in their company of their words and mm. and they seeing the videos it's like a next step down it's not the real thing but it's a next step down yeah. um and also with that you know some books or things that you could sort of you know read that would be good for you uh, and and if nothing nothing else then at least read the quran translation tafsir read mm. some hadith directly from prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to find that tazkiyah and that purity but this a lot listen now we're going to level down now yeah. some people might say well why have we going to level down is because text is what you interpret it to be it's mm. a, it's a very passive understanding it's like you could misunderstand something in the text text is very pure don't mm. get me wrong yeah it's the best thing yes quran is the best thing a hadith is the best thing but it might not always be the thing that gives you your nourishment of spirituality why because you're reading it and what's happening in your mind is you're thinking well i've got to use that hadith to preach to people mm. you fall into a trap straight away for in terms of tazkiyah and spirituality you fall into a trap because you're now looking at it as a means to rectify others mm. and not to rectify yourself the only way you will rectify yourself is to be in a real company of someone who can look at you and say well you know this is not right or that is not or you carry on being in the company realize that you know what i'm doing something wrong i should be like this person and over time you change mm. okay and if you can't find that then obviously lectures or other things that has has got a you know a way of you of your understanding be more correct than your passive reading of the quran and the sunnah of course if you if you if you uh, study the quran and sunnah with real teachers mm. who have that spirituality that's probably nurun ala nur that that's light of above light mm. so you know you mentioned um there are, there are many diseases of the heart and i think especially in the day and age of social media um it's very easy like to see to follow certain people and then maybe someone feels jealous they're envious you know this person has a certain lifestyle uh, especially in this day and age of celebrity culture you know like they have a certain lifestyle you feel that like jealousy or you see someone doing better than you have a business i'm yeah. a muslim business owner someone else comes out with something you know you have your own podcast tomorrow is a new podcast and you feel the jealousy or you know you might be doing something publicly and then there's that sense of arrogance as a sense of showing off in front of people especially in the day and age of technology social media how can we guard ourselves for, uh, from something oh, like this you've opened a big can of worms <laughs> you've opened a big can of worms the thing is um I, I, you know this new generation they've, yeah. they've grown up in social media yeah yeah it's a very new thing i mean we're mm. talking about literally 12 13 years uh, max yeah. it's been around Uh, and there's already a generation that has now grown into it mm. um and the whole ego is fed through social media mm -hmm. so one of the big like you've mentioned some of them one of them is this thing of pride like mm. every person who's out there is trying to show that I'm I'm as good as anyone else so you know the image might not be the right image they're, they're putting lipstick and everything all this makeup on which mm. I, i got nothing against that stuff but the thing is you you're you're falsifying an image mm. and you're trying to put a super image on there which you're really not mm. okay every person who takes a selfie and puts it on social media is always smiling you're not smiling 24 hours you got all your problems lying inside your heart mm. okay and everyone's competing on this superficial uh, platform yeah it's not real um everyone's showing only their 1% of happiness 
uh, on there. Whereas you've got ninety nine percent of all these other things in your closet that you don't want to share with anyone and show anyone. But the reality is that ninety nine percent is who you really are. Mm. Right, mm. you're probably a groggy person. You you know you hardly smile. You you're a person who's got diseases in the heart. And on social media, you seem like this fantastic, super duper guy. Oh my God! If that guy was my friend, then everything would be fine. Yeah. And, and it's all false. And and like you said, there's jealousy involved. Uh, I mean, why would you want to advertise your life to everybody else? Why? I I don't I don't get it. Some people people nowadays they can't even have food. <laughs> Without taking a selfie on the food, yeah, and they don't even realize that they're probably getting the ayn, they're getting mm. the evil eye, and that's why they get stomach stomach pains within <laughs> within. I, mean, I have this policy: I don't I don't send if, if someone's going to take food, you know, selfie of my food, yeah. or photo of my food. I said after forty eight hours, you're going to send that because I want to make sure that, that that's in the sewage system it's by digested. the time they're, 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 they're you know digesting it out of my system. You get it. Uh, people have to show off with the with the cars, with the yeah. with the family, with the holidays. With the, and you're inviting jealousy. You're inviting uh, evil eye. You're inviting people who, uh, on the surface of it, will like you. Deep inside, they'll hate you. Mm. Um, why on earth would you want to do that? And then another problem that comes in is is this thing of, I'm right. Mm. You know, once you post something on social media, if it's an article or something, or if it's a status, then you've got to defend it. Mm. Then you run into trouble of trying to defend it. Then there's bullying going on. Right, where people say, "Oh, who are you? What do you know? This and that," and then you got you're in a war zone for for no reason whatsoever. Mm. Uh, how do you? The question is, how do you guard it? For, to to be honest with you, th there's a whole there's a whole list of things that people should do when they yeah. when they post. The first is um, don't post anything on there. I mean, you should know what the Sharia is, right? So don't post anything on there which is haram. Don't mm. don't show any body parts or anything which Allah hasn't told mm -hmm. you to show, right? Don't post anything which, again, is going to be backbiting someone, putting someone down, and so on. You know, we should avoid all these things. Don't spread gossip, ill, ill news, and so on. All of this is going to get into trouble. Mm -hmm. If you're going to show any good side of yours, just show it to the few people that you're going to show it to. You don't have to use social media for it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you people don't understand this, that not everyone's your friend out there that likes you. Mm -hmm. You know, people after these likes, right? You know, Facebook, I've got this many likes. You've got to understand that. Most of those likes are fake because when, you, when you're in need mm. and someone comes to your assistance, that's your real friend. Ninety-something percent of those people who have given you likes, they will leave you on the roadside and they won't, they won't give you shelter when the time comes mm. because they're only after their own. They only did that because they probably got certain likes after that, right? Uh, how do you know that Shaitan hasn't even liked you? <laughs> let's be, let's be, how do you know? You know, so, let's be serious, right? Some girl com comes along and she likes you, right? That that's that's shaitan, man. That's come along. That's a fitna for you, right? Uh, it's a new perspective. There. It, it's true, and 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 people don't understand, right? That you can have the whole world's likes, but if you don't have one like, mm. then you're finished. If you haven't got Allah's like, what are you? Mm. I mean, you, let's say you got. 10,000 or let's say 100,000 likes, mm. right? And, and you're talking about it and people talk about you. But you've missed out on the one like, which is Allah doesn't like you. You're doomed. You know, you're True, doomed yeah. in this world, you're doomed in the next world. Yeah. But if you've got that one like and you don't even have social media, right? <laughs> you've made it. You made it in this world, you made it in the next world. Right? So, you know, looking at, at these principles, just steer away from all the things that Sharia has told us to st steer away from. Mm. And then you go for... 
you know, you, you try, I'd say to people, try and use the social media to spread the deen, yeah. spread the religion, make people aware of had even hadith. Please verify it mm. uh, from from a local scholar or someone yeah. before you send it. Because sometimes you get a really nice hadith, and it's like, wow, I need to send it to a hundred thousand people. But it could be a lie. It could be fabrication. Yeah. And, and now you're guilty of fabricating something against the Prophet Sallallahu and spreading it. So, so be careful of that. But you can, your safe side is to find scholars' quotations and other things and spread that. Or, or a good video that makes people, you know, come towards khair and goodness. Mm. Uh, otherwise, just, just, you know, like Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi says uh, in, in a hadith of Bukhari, uh, whosoever believes in Allah and, and the last day, let him say something good mm. or remain silent. silent. That's a good piece of advice. I think the shaitan thing is waking up a lot of people <laughs> listening. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, does, does shaitan follow me? Yeah. Um, but it's true. It's true. As in most of the most of your network online, they aren't going to be there for you in, in the time of need. So it's a very good point. I think it's, it puts things into perspective. Um, I remember even once I was, um, my car had broke down once. Actually, it, was, it didn't even break down. There was literally like a, so a part of it caught fire. It was like an electrical fault. And literally, like, the smoke coming out of my car. Oh, my God. Right? Um, and the funniest thing is that, obviously, I'm there, and I'm stressed out, and I'm I'm, I'm calling, you know, the, the, the fire brigade, literally, because people are like, you have to put this fire out, etc. Um, and this one guy is cycling past, and he recognized me. He recognized me from, like, probably this this show or TV show, right? And then he was like, oh, sorry, are, you, are, you, are you that brother? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. He's like, oh, mashallah. <laughs> he was <laughs> taking selfie. <laughs> yeah, he took a picture and and he saw literally I'm there like stressed out and he just he just he was on his bike and he just oh rode off God. after that. And I, and like exactly what you're saying, I was like, wow, like this brother, he had no no like kind of, you know. We we're living in a we live in in a in a world where children mm. who have had their entire life uh, dependent on the on their parents, yeah, uh, you know, disregard the parents. Mm. I mean, your education, your growth, your bringing up. I don't. I don't care whether your parents are super sort of wrong, mm. and you are super right. But come on, your whole life's dependent upon these parents, right? So how dare you raise your voice in front of them, shout at them, uh, swear at them, even mm. sometimes even violence towards them. Some. I mean, this is this is happening right now as mm. we're speaking. There are hundreds and thousands of houses that have got this. And, and then those kids, you know, dad's paying for all the internet, Wi-Fi. Those kids use that time to get closer to their friends. Mm-hmm. Yet they, 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 they are <clears throat> distant from their own parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is the world we're living in. I mean, they, they say that technology was supposed to be used and not loved. And humans were supposed to be loved and not used. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, and the opposite is happening right now, where people are loving technology and using people, mm. which is you know what kind of what kind of world is that? Subhanallah. <laughs> <laughs> One question I was going to ask actually, just more, mm. just moving away from from social media, is um, the thing is, look, we're just we're just living in a world. Everyone's busy all the time. Everyone's busy. Everyone's working. You know, uh, family. So many so financial stress. You know. So when we when we talk about spirituality, just to kind of um, you know be fair, because a lot of people have this complaint. They're like, okay, Sheikh, you talk about spirituality, you know, but I can't go to the masjid all the time. I can't recite this much Quran all the time. I'm busy. I have family. I have work. I have career. I have this X Y Z. Everyone's got problems. Everyone everyone's busy. Everyone's doing their own thing. So 
just a kind of message to to everyone, which is most people that I'm talking about right now fit into this, is how can we still be, you know, spiritual, to, to, mm. so to put it? How can we kind of embed and implement spirituality in our lives being so kind of busy? What would you say? You know, you know, people don't, people have misunderstood this whole thing. They think that they, I mean, it would be brilliant if people can, can take out an entire 20 minutes or mm. half an hour or one hour. Yeah. To do your Quran reading separately in your house, do your dhikr, do your extra nafal and whatever it is. It's brilliant if you can do that. But we understand that most people don't have that time to take an hour out. I, yeah. mean, I mean, nobody should really make an excuse for not having 15 minutes in the day or 20 minutes in the day mm -hmm. just to do a few readings. Right? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Um, everyone's got time to do it. Every single person listening out there has got time. I'll, I'll tell you how. Mm -hmm. right? um, I've seen brothers commute on the train reading the Quran, yeah. right? they've got a musaf in their hands, they've got wudu, they're reading the Quran, maybe they're commuting for 40 minutes towards work, 30 minutes, that's 30 minutes of Quran done. I've, I've come across people who, when, when they, uh, I've come across women uh, who've told me that when they're cooking, they've got something being played, mm. right? Uh, it's, it's a way of prompting them to do some dhikr or something, and they're doing the dhikr while they're actually cooking. Because mm -hmm. they're so used to this cooking, it's like clockwork. They don't yeah, have to yeah. think about it, right? And these women have told me they'll get entire, like, you know, parts of the Quran read. Or, you know, I mean, if you know the 30th Jews, a part of the 30th Jews, you just put a tape on, mm. or let's say a, a, a CD, or let's say a, a, the internet uh, on, right? Uh, YouTube or something where Qadi is reciting it. You know it anyway. And as he's reciting, you just recite along with him. Just move mm -hmm. your tongue and recite along with him. I mean, how difficult is that? Mm. Right? You're doing all your work at the same time. You could be ironing, you could be you know, cleaning, whatever. Put your headphones in, walk around the house, do your cleaning, mm. have the vacuum cleaner on, and you can recite at the same time. Um, there's, there's dead time all of us have got. You're walking. You can say subhanallah. I mean, Sahaba made this thing where every time they went up, they said Allahu Akbar. Mm. Every time they came down, they said subhanallah. It's a very simple thing the Sahaba just made. They said, Kunna nusabbih. We used to say, Subhanallah, whenever he used to come, you know, come down on a, any platform, or when he used to go up, we used to say, Allahu Akbar. You get a reward just for walking and doing zikr. Mm. And people don't understand that all this dead time in the day is hours. Mm. All right? I remember I, I commuted once uh, to, uh, to work. I, I had to work, uh, work, maybe it was 50 minutes to get there, 40 minutes or 45 minutes to get back. I listened to entire durus on the way there, on the way back. Entire seer about two, three times mm. over. I listened to Ambiyas. You know, these are from scholars that, that I could understand in Arabic. Uh, I, I listened to Ahadith and many things and memorized so much stuff. Just going there and coming back. Mm. Um, that's just commuting. What about when you're sitting <clears throat> somewhere and you're working? Can't you just say a few dhikr while you're still working? I mean, some tasks you can do it. Like if you've got a, a, a task where your hands are working robotically, mm. And you don't need to think about what you're doing. You can easily fill your time with la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, yeah. subhanallah, astaghfirullah, whatever. You're remembering Allah, you're getting a dunya, you're getting akhirah. Right? And most people are actually missing out on this. Mm. I know people who've actually memorized the Quran on bus routes. Wow. They've memorized azjahs, few azjahs of the Quran, because they, they, they had this in their mind that I'm going to memorize you know, a little portion. These are adults. These, these mm -hmm. are not children. Uh, I've, I've seen children do that as well, but these are adults who've, who've memorized. I, I know this 73-year-old 
who started his hives at 64 and he's already done 29 Jews now. He's on oh, his last Jews. Sure. He's 70 something years old. So he's taking him about, you know, in his pension years, he's done yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, what stops a person when you want to do something mm. and you put your mind to it, what's going to stop you? You can yeah. do it. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point in the sense that instead of just always think, because I think psychologically people think I have to take time out for it. Yeah. And, and that's what's stopping them. And then I think what you're trying to say is kind of embed it into your already on the go life and just, and just bring it in. That's brilliant. Uh, since Ramadan is here, I wanted to ask a very specific question to address a kind of uh, a problem that I've seen, which is when Ramadan comes, of course, naturally, um, you have many people from different walks of life. They want to, um, you know, they want to spiritually kind of invest in themselves. They want to better themselves. You have another crowd at the same time who uh, label and they're like, oh, look at these people there, uh, Ramadan Muslims or, you know, they're seasonal Muslims. You know, I even had one brother once. He was like, oh, you know, this, uh, like, uh, in his area, the local drug dealer, he was known. So he's like, oh, look at this guy. He's coming to the masjid now in Ramadan. He's a drug dealer. Because I know uh, a day he's going to be, he's going to have more business than, than ever before. He's going to go back to normal, right? So you have this mentality in many Muslims who are already maybe praying salah, etc. That now Ramadan is here. There's many people, they're not wearing their scarf before. Now it's the sisters wearing scarf. They weren't coming masjid, now they are. What would your message be uh, to these kind of people with this kind of mindset for people who are now trying to come closer to Allah in this month? Look, these people are still better than those people who don't even come to the masjid. Yeah. Ramadan, okay? let, let, let's, let's not be negative towards these people because we've got like 30% of the ummah that when, when Ramadan comes, they're not even fasting. They're not even near the masjid. They don't even come probably for Eid Salah. We've got like 30% of the ummah mm. like that. 70% of people, these are like rough stats. 70% of the people at least fast in Ramadan. Yeah. Uh, of those, some of them come to the masjid. Some of them don't come to the masjid. They'll only come like Eid Day or something like that. Uh, but you know what? Let's look at it in, in two, uh, you know, two different ways. You've got the people who are wearing hijab only in Ramadan or the drug dealer that comes to the masjid. Alhamdulillah, at least he still has got that much of faith mm. inside him that is coming. Because you know, the times ahead, we, we've got real tough times ahead. We've got people leaving the religion. We've mm. got people, you know, selling their iman for, for, for silly prices, silly things in this world. So this person who's come, let's welcome them. Mm. let's try and give them something that by the day that Eid comes and they're turning away back to the drug dealing or back to their life on the streets, that that one thing will, will, will remain with them. I remember one brother that came to the masjid and he came over a number of years and he would come only Ramadan. So I was the imam in the masjid. Yeah. So he comes one Ramadan and he hears my lectures and he comes and he joins the people and so on. So he loved it. But we knew this. Soon as Ramadan uh, finished, he yeah. was off again. We didn't see him for 11 months. Mm. Then he came back again for next, next Ramadan. You know what? I, I Again, you know, he was sitting in the masjid, eating iftar with us, uh, some lectures, whatever. Good company for one month. Mm. Again, we saw him go. By the third one, right? I remember turning around to this brother and I met him and with a smile on my face, I said, brother, I said, I'm not going to see you after Ramadan this year, right? So he smiled back and, and something must have hit him mm. because it wasn't just a rough, like I'm just turning around to him and saying, yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. see you. No, it was with a smile on my face and I've seen him for two years running. Now, this is the third year. Mm. We spent a whole month, like two months together in two consecutive years. This is the third month. And I said, brother, I'm not going to see you after Ramadan. I said, it'd be nice to see you after Ramadan. So he said to me, he said, Inshallah, brother, you'll see me after Ramadan this year, right? And that was good because after Ramadan, 
He came. He actually came and he said, Brother, look, I'm here after Ramadan. I said, MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah. He came for a few days. Right? Mm -hmm. Then he disappeared. Doesn't matter. Yeah, the yeah. next year, you meet him again and you, you have a smile on your face. He has a smile on his face. He said, Come on, brother, let's, let's extend that time now for Ramadan. Yeah, if you can mm -hmm. come a bit more. Yeah. Then he comes a bit more. And subhanAllah, you know what? Then now I'm telling you this right now. That brother, five times in the masjid every single day. Right now. It happened, I think, it took him about five or six years, but it happened. Amazing. Right? Another brother, he took out time one Ramadan just to come to Etikaf. Mm. This guy did not know anything but Surah Fatiha, Inna Atayna and Qulhuallahu Ahad. That's all he knew. Yeah. Right? So he's getting his entire salah done through this. The guy doesn't pray, he doesn't do anything. So he, yeah. he came to the masjid and, and you know, I said, okay, come and come to Etikaf. So he, came, he said, you know what? I'm going to join Etikaf because I want to try and learn the last 10 surahs. Mm. That's all he wanted to do, right? So he came in. I think he just about managed Surah Feel and Surah Quraysh. That was it. And his brain couldn't take any more. Yeah. Uh, and then, but you know what, what he found? What these people need is they need this companionship. You mm. know what I said to you earlier on? Yeah, yeah. They need good people. They need that companionship. They need to find new friends. They need to find someone who they can say, oh, you know what? I want to I I spend more time with this person. Mm. As soon as they've hit that, you know what? You know where this brother is right now? Again, five times a day in the masjid. He doesn't mm. miss a single jama'ah. In the masjid, and that happened. I mean, this guy was clean shaven, everything. I mean, I'd, you know, he used to drive a truck up and down the country. You know what he does now? He he then started to drive the truck, but he used to look up all the masjids on his route, and would stop at a masjid and he would pray, and he would only go when he could pray at a masjid. Yeah, right. His whole life has changed. Wow, that's the thing. Like that, that this is my point as well, because so many people, even if they don't change immediately, but that that experience sticks with them. The fact yeah. that they prayed, the fact that they fasted, yeah. etc. I'll I'll say something really really yeah. interesting to you, right? So so here I'm in the masjid. I'm an imam, okay? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I'm standing near the radiator, getting some heat, waiting mm. for just the asr salat to start. And one old man comes. Yeah, I have a, not my good banter with him. So old man comes up to me, stands up, he goes, Imam, mm. you know the people, they come for Juma, they don't pray after that. <clears throat> yeah. right? and he said. You should tell them about hellfire. <laughs> tell them about, you know, hey, he's telling me this, yeah, right? Yeah. So I turned around to him. I said, I said, brother, I said, listen to me. Yeah. I said, how many years have you, have you been praying five times a day? So he said, six years. I said, imagine I came seven years ago to you and I said to you, you know, hellfire. And I quoted a hadith about hellfire for you not praying. I said, what would you do? He said, I'd walk away. I said, exactly. <laughs> I said, these people are going to walk yeah. away too. Then that knocked sense <clears> in him. Yeah. I said, that's not how you call people to religion. Right? Mm. And a lot of people who are now practicing look at others and think, you know, why are they like that? Well, you were like that as well. Mm. So put yourself in their shoes and try and understand how you're going to pull them into religion through whichever wisdom, you know, wise way it is that you can find. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. Um, something else I want to speak about now, um, again, moving away from Ramadan, is uh, children. Mm -hmm. Children. Because, um, I mean, like, I'm not a parent, but for me to. <laughs> To think about maybe having a child is quite scary. And a lot of people feel like this. It's like the, the day and age we're living in now. It's like if I were to have a child, I had to raise that child in this society we live in. We've spoken about all these ills, right? Social media and so many problems. And, you know, it sounds like it sounds like doomsday is already here. And to raise a child in that environment is going to be very, very difficult, right? That's, that's like kind of the feeling that we get from this generation. Um, so in terms of like all of the discussions we've just been having, of course, is mainly to do with ourselves, especially as adults. But then, you know, for children, for example, 
what can we do for them from a young age? Because like, you know, we mentioned Safar Academy, so, and, and we'll speak about some of the books as well, Safar Publications. Uh, like I've, I've personally, I've taught some of these books, right? So from my experience as a teacher who's taught in the past children, this is my, this is my personal experience, which is, you know, the parents of those children, usually, you know, the, the child is in school 70 hours a day, and then obviously it comes back, and then the rest of the evening will be at home, and, you know, obviously spend the night sleeping, etc. But for like maybe two hours, like at, at most, two and a half hours, three tops, they'll spend the time in the madrasa or in, in the maktab or in the masjid, whatever it might be, in this class. Now, the parents, the kind of vibe that we were getting from the parents is that they're showing their frustration towards the teachers, the Islamic, you know, studies teachers, like, oh, why is my child not behaving for? Why is my child messing up for? Why is my child not praying salah for? No interest in the deen. And they take it out on, on us as teachers when we only get to spend maybe two hours a day with them. But then the rest of the time they're at school, they're, they're with parents. So this is the kind of vibe we were getting, that they were taking their frustrations. And every time we would kind of discuss as teachers, we'd just say, why don't the parents take more interest in their child in the time they have with the children? So what would your advice be as as someone who you know, runs, you know, mashallah, very successful, not just madrasa, but in terms of publications, now it's reached hundreds and hundreds of other places. Um, and as a parent, you know, just bringing, uh, and as an imam, as a teacher, all of those experiences together, what would your advice be for, for, for mainly the parents and the children? I mean, the first part is quite interesting what you yeah. said about, you know, being scared to bring children okay. up. I mean, <laughs> how more scary could it have been yeah. for my parents? Uh, my dad came here in 1959. Mm. Uh, my mum came here in 1971, okay? Now, how more scarier can it be for parents who don't understand English language, mm. who don't even understand this culture, and to have kids in this country um, and to bring them up when there was hardly a barely any masjids around? Mm. Um, don't you think it was more scary than today? It's a valid point. It's, if you think about it, they had more things to worry about yeah, than yeah, us. Yeah. See, the worry can, will never stop. Mm. So I think I've got this thing against a lot of parents where you kind of worry to the end. Mm. When will you stop worrying? Because end of the day, your children are growing are, are always going to grow up in a different time other, to, uh, other than your time. Yeah. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anha has a very important saying. It's in Sahih Bukhari. He says, bring your children up for a time that is not your time. Mm. Now, that's interesting because my parents, they grew up in Bangladesh. They were surrounded by the Adhan, surrounded by lectures, surrounded by religious people. Mm. Um, you could never have a day without religion in your life. Yeah. Um, we grew up in a time where you're in a house you know, typical house, unless religion is given to you, you don't see religion, right? Um, I grew up in the 80s, um, you know, born in the 70s, but grew up in the 80s. And the, the world was very different to today's world, but it still was a very dangerous world for, for my parents because my parents were complaining about the TV, mm. the video, the VCR. That was the biggest complaint they had. And yes, kids were hooked onto the TV at that time. Yeah. Today, kids are hooked onto the Playstations, the Xboxes, and they're also hooked onto the social media and mm. then smartphones. Okay, it is more dangerous, I'd say, than that time. Yeah. But but still, you've got the dangers both ways because mm. because if if you're prepared, 
then you're prepared for both worlds. If you're not prepared, then you're not prepared for any of the worlds. Mm. So, you know, in my in my sort of time, and I think even today, this is this is going to be the key thing I'm going to say to parents is, you know, let's go back to that thing we said, the companionship. Mm. Where's the <clears throat> religious companionship in these children's lives? Okay, they come to the masjid, they find some teachers, whatever. And like you said, they're only there for two or three hours. Mm. In a whole week, maybe the seven to ten hours. That's one companionship. But the rest of the companionship is with school, friends, teachers out there in schools, whatever mm. else it might be. And then it's the home. Now, the home is a very important part because most of their time outside of school and outside of the maktab and madrasa is spent at home. Yeah. What companionship have you as a parent provided for your child? So uh, straight up, if you're religious, if you're praying, if you're, you know, if you're praying, you've got your hijab on your head, you're a person who's practicing religion, most likely your children will grow up like you. Mm. Um, there are a few you know, things. Of course, you have to still worry about things, okay? Because if they get the wrong friends, wrong things, they can go off path. And there are a number of things that parents have to do. One of the key things is find a good maktab or a good madrasa or a good, you know, weekday, weekend, whatever, um, you know, after school kind of mosque teaching mm. or what you call it, right? Find a good one. And again, the question will come is, how do you know there's a good one? Well, you talk to people who have already sent their kids there. Mm. That, that's the key thing. So go on, talk to parents who have sent the children there. What's been the impact on those kids after 10 years, after seven years, eight yeah. years, right? And I really think parents should move or get their first house in an area where there is a good madrasa system. That's where you should get your house. Look for a good mother system and mm. look for a good school. Now, both of these are going to play a role mm. because, you know, you know, school, if you're in a rundown area, then your kids are going to be rundown. Straight mm. up, does that, you know you're going to be struggling with your madrasa to pick them up. You're going to be struggling with your companionship to pick them up, because the companionship they're getting in the school is going to corrupt them. So if mm. you're in a dense sort of populated place with council housing and low-income families and ghettos that have been created, and you go to school in that local area, you know what? Yeah. People don't see the cycle. The cycle is that. The, the local councils don't fund that place much, okay? That place is already running with head teachers changing every maybe few years, right? The teachers are good teachers come in, the salaries are low, so the good teachers leave, mm. right? The teachers with, you know, who stay on low salaries are at the bottom end of the teaching, you know, ladder, okay? They don't have the best techniques, ways to instill even the English language in the kids, let alone mm. good practices. So I, I want to I say this, that look, my, my kids up until now have gone to normal schools, but I've targeted good schools. You know, you know you've got, let's just talk about England here, okay? Mm. England has got some schools that, are, that come from sort of affluent families, People, you know, people of the of the of, of this society that have got good morals. They've got no religion, but they've got good morals. Yeah. They all care about the kids. They all give them private tuition, or at least, you know, look at after their education. None of these kids are on drugs. None mm. of these kids are messing around, like you know, on, in ghettos and whatever. These are not ghetto sort of areas. If you move into one of those areas, or you take your kids to one of those schools where there's good morals mm. in those non-religious families, your kids are going to grow up good. And all they need is a booster, which is the madrasa, a mm. good madrasa. Now, again, with the madrasa, what we need is we need good understanding. 
right? We need teachers to be able to have a rapport. They need to be able to reach to the child, understand the child, find what's wrong with him and relate to him in a way that he accepts it. You know, we don't want this old school of, you know, harshness or, mm. you know, scolding them or making them feel that they don't want to be there. No. Okay. Yeah. And we want, again, good companionship. Mm. So those imams or teachers need to be seen as role models by the children. Mm. Okay. If you've got that. And then the third thing, most important thing, is the house. If the house has got the mechanisms of religion running through it. And, you know, you're making sure that the salah is being done. You're making sure that the daughter is wearing, you know, slowly being encouraged towards hijab. And then by 10, she's wearing a hijab. And she loves to wear her own hijab. Mm. And she finds interest in it because that's her dunya akhira. Okay. That's her modesty in the world. That's her jannah. Okay. Mm. If, she, if she sees it like that and she wears it and she wants to become like her mother, you've got it all. You've got all three. Okay. Now, some parents will say, well, I want to send my kids to an Islamic school. Yeah. And if you want to send them to an Islamic school, again, please... Talk to the parents who have sent the kids to those Islamic schools because you've got two types. You've got, you've got those Islamic schools that um, will just sprinkle Islam on a you know, national curriculum that, that they're doing, mm -hmm. which is fine. It's a sprinkle. It's not going to give them the best sort of values and morals of religion. But then what they'll do is they'll give them good education in English, in history, in science, in maths, and all the other, other things. And they'll, they'll have good morals. Okay, mm -hmm. that's, that's fine. But you've got other Islamic schools where they are, they are giving them um, the Quran, Hivs, and other things, but they're really suffering on the national curriculum side. Mm -hmm. Or they've ended up with the ghetto kids with bad morals, bad akhlaq, bad character, and it's a rotten place you know, for your kid to go because mm. he's just going to pick up those bad habits and come out. And I th really think people need to smarten up, talk to the parents. How, what do you do? Go to, the, go to the school, end of the day, 3.30, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whatever it is, go and stand there with the mums waiting with the prams or whatever and the dads waiting outside in the cars. Go and talk to them one by one, one day, another day, another day. Tell them, what's, what's, tell me about the syllabus, tell me about the curriculum, tell me about the impact on the kids, mm. tell me what your child is doing. <clears throat> you know, because I, I'm about to send my child here. This is, this is the life of another, another human being. Yeah. Interview them, say, brother, sister, please tell me because I, I, I want to choose between these schools and then decide where you want to send them. Mm, so for parents to basically take more interest in oh, them, oh, rather definite. than just, just like rash look, decisions. Look, parents who think, right, that they can just drop them off to the mosque yeah. and then pick them back up, right? Uh, your child will learn whatever it is there. When they come home, if they see that you're not praying, you haven't got hijab on mm. the head. That religion is like a little piece in their life. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's still good that you're doing that. I'm yeah, not, yeah, I'm not yeah. discouraging parents, but it's still good. But if you if you just do that, don't don't expect your 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 uh, child to be a saint mm. and to start you know praying at times when you're not even praying. And they might wake you up for fajr now and again because of the good influence of the mother side. But after a while, the environment of the house and the companionship mm. of the house is going to take over. See, just to be balanced, by the way, because of course, you know, um, all across the country, it's not the same. You know, yeah. we're privileged to be in London, um, and then with Ilmfeed, you have a viewership and you have an audience from all over the world, right? So not everyone's going to be as lucky. Um, like for example, myself, I'm from Devon, right? So growing up, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have anything. I, so there was no choice for, for my parents to take me to a good madrasa because there wasn't even a madrasa. Okay. So, so I was, I was lucky in the sense that my parents moved to Leicester and then I came to London to study further which is okay but just to ban so what would your advice be to those parents who maybe don't have an option don't have enough options um, 
Is it just that they do the best they can within the home? What would you say? Yeah, so again, look, a lot of parents have, have actually taken the Safra publication books that we've we've uh, created because those yeah. books actually, those books that, that we've created in Safra publications, they are actually all the gaps and lack of things that I saw in my own life as mm. I grew up because, again, just like what you're saying, I came from a background where religion was there on an outwardly way, mm. but it wasn't really given the, the real inside and the spirituality and the, you know, all the things that you need to embed the the, the mm. sort of sort of fiqh, aqidah, spirituality, seerah, understanding religion. None of that was was there at my time. Okay. So that's what we've created. We've we've actually created a syllabus that fills in the gap. So a lot of parents have taken our books, and they they teach their kids directly. Mm. And we've got hundreds and hundreds of parents that are doing that. We've got many resources on our website, on sufferpublications.org, where parents know what exactly to teach, how to teach. All those videos, there's professional videos up there of how to teach. Uh, parents have, have bought these books and individually in the house, either they've got a mother and they're supplementing it in the house, mm with the Safra publication books or they're purely just teaching them from, from the books. So it's not just the fact that there's a that you just you just get a book that you just teach with there's actually a guide. There's a guide there's to a, actually tell a, you how to teach. This. Guide, yeah. Wow. So what was the vision uh, uh, behind th these books? Because I mean like I said I've 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 actually taught these books before, but I've been to like parts of the country which you wouldn't think there's you know a proper system in place and then I see the books there as well and mashallah it's reached many places what was the vision behind um, the Safra publication books because obviously in there you have you're teaching tajweed you have the you have du'as you have so many things that the children are learning so what was your vision was because um, over the years over the decades now the fact that it's grown um, there must be something good about it right well well, well the, it's it's probably the life that i've gone through myself okay and and things that i've learned you know along the way so if mm. i try and summarize i mean let's just go straight to when i was in year 11 uh, year, sorry i was in year six mm. primary school okay year six and i remember one day the teacher said you know uh, what do you do after school what do you do after school what is and my question came up and i said well i go to a mosque mm. so she said what do you do in the mosque i said i'm memorizing a book so what book? I said the Holy Quran. She said, "Really? You're memorizing? What are you? What? Are, how big is it?" So yeah. I said, "I said it's 848 pages." Mm. So wow, and you're memorizing that? She said, "Go and say some of it." So I said, "You know, you know, <laughs> I said it. Yeah. Then she turned around to me. She goes, "So what does that mean?" <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the killer question. And I was just, I said, "I don't know." She said, "What does it mean?" I said, "I don't know." She goes, "What does it mean?" I said, "I don't know." And I went red in the face. Yeah. And she stopped the other two classes. And it was it was one of those moments that you could never forget in your life, right? The three classes now stopped, yeah. silence, pin drop silence. And she said to the other two teachers, she said, Hassan goes to a mosque. He's memorizing a book that is 848 pages. And he doesn't know a single word of what it means. And you know how dumb that made me feel? Wow. How yeah, yeah. stupid! I, I I kind of I thought to myself, well, that's true. Why don't I know the meaning of this Quran? Why am I even memorizing this thing that I don't yeah. even know the meaning of? Right? But it's those things that that later on changed the way I'm seeing things because I thought, you know what? When I grow up, I mean, th this is when I went to a proper madrasa. So mm -hmm. so when I when I went to a proper boarding school and so on, a lot of things I came across. So here I'm in a boarding school, and there's a system here that religion is like click, you know, tick tock, tick tock, round the clock. Everything's been done, all your salads and everything else. But I kind of feel that there's, there's, a, there's a lack 
And that lack I found later on, that, that to complete the, 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 the kind mm. of a deficiency, I found in, in, in a great ustad that filled that, in the, the void. His name was Mullah Fadr Rahim. He was from Oldham. He taught us in, in Nottingham. And there was this one person I came across. I thought, wow. You know, of all the religious people I came in my life, across in my life, all mm. the teachers, I thought, this is something I've never seen, which is, this man has embodied the Quran and Sunnah and Hadith in his life, and he is all of it. Okay. You know these things I said that fiqh, yeah. aqidah, spirituality, all of it together, all blended. Mm. This man is reading his tahajjud five hours in the night. Old man of 70 years old. He's sleeping like a, an hour or up to three hours a day, and that's it. Mm. But hours sometimes, just an hour. He was teaching, he, was, he had all the akhlaq, he had the characteristics, he had the spirituality, he had the understanding of the deen. You could approach him with anything you wanted and he would treat you like a child and he would speak to you and give you an understanding. I spent four years with him and it was him that encouraged me to do this syllabus. Mm. So he said to me that, look, he said, Hassan, <clears throat> he said, of all the children, Muslim children that we've got out there, 99 point something percent of the children will never come and study in a Darlurm or a board, boarding school, mm. Islam boarding school. He said, wouldn't it be lovely if we could create a syllabus that, that would go into the masjids and all these madrasas that they're going to, but all of the wealth that we've got in this madrasa from Bukhari, from Muslim to all the different things, wouldn't it be lovely to have the best of all of that in that syllabus mm. so where they study the fiqh when they come across the fiqh they've got the hadith there and they've got the spirituality there mm. so he specifically told me this and from his you know him prompting me to do this um, that vision sort of alhamdulillah now is coming coming to light uh, this was in the 90s that I had my you know companionship mm. with him and all the different I've, I've seen a lot of difficulties in, in, in growing up as a, as a person in religious circles and all those difficulties I've steered through them and all the things that they need has been put into the syllabus mm. uh, the several publications uh, syllabus uh, and, and these kids need to grow up they need to grow up in a modern world they need to have the tradition values but they need someone needs to understand them of who they are in their modern world and all those things have been put into this uh, syllabus Based on uh, like your story and based on also um, just the vision behind um, Suffer Publications, also I was gonna I was just gonna ask as in because um, because because you're mentioning that obviously a lot of children they don't know what they're saying they don't mm. they don't know what they're reciting in the Quran so would you then kind of say we should shift the um, the kind of emphasis and the importance that we're placing obviously we're not saying it's a bad thing to memorize Quran and things like that is brilliant um, but to focus more on because we're we're talking about children and their upbringing and their tarbiyah is rather than just making children memorize things, and this is something I've seen with the suffer, the, the positive side, just rather than making them memorize the, the Arabic or Quran and, and you know, Fatiha to Nas, is how about instead, um, you know, getting them to memorize du'as, but the the application of the du'a and the translation of the, the du'a, translation du'a, would you say that's more important at the early stage rather than just memorize, memorize, memorize? See, I, I think we, we've got ourselves into a, a bit of a pickle. Mm. A lot of parents have um, really misunderstood this this one thing and, and a lot of imams are also mm. not helping either. 
Because what happens in the masjid is that you get these you know, big lectures. Oh, make your child a hafiz of the Quran, and then mm. you're going to have a crown of light on your head on the day yeah. of judgment. And he's going to intercede for ten members of his family members who are about to go to hellfire, and he can rescue them from hellfire mm. and take them to jannah. This is all good, but they miss out on one real key factor of the hadith. The hadith says, "Man ahalla halala wa harama harama." That hafiz who regarded the Quran's halal as halal in his life. Mm. And who regarded the haram of the Quran as haram in his life. So he practiced the halal and he mm. stayed away from the haram. If you don't have this, then you're not getting any of that. And the parents can dream of, of what they're going to get. If you've got a child who just memorized the Quran, but he's not leading the life of the Quran, mm. then he's actually probably going to be, may Allah protect him and protect me. He's probably going to be thrown in hellfire first. Mm. right? Now, this big aspect, most parents and most imams are not out there talking about the truth. The truth is we want good Muslims, mm. right? So what makes a good Muslim? A, I'd rather have a Muslim, a, a child who's a Muslim who grows up, who loves the religion, loves the Quran, has some basic understanding of the Quran, says his few du'as, has good character. To me, you know what? That is a brilliant Muslim. Mm. Then to have a hafiz of the Quran who memorizes the entire Quran, doesn't know any of the meanings, hasn't been taught the, the fiqh of the religion, doesn't know the aqidah, doesn't know his, his do's and don'ts, okay? Has just got this whole thing memorized and then he's, he's sort of thought, you know what, I'm going to go out there and do what I want. Mm. And leads a life that is not according <clears throat> to the Quran. We've got, you know, it's very unfortunate. Yes, we've got, you know, the fortunate part is we've got certain huffaz who are practicing yeah. Muslims. But unfortunately, <clears throat> we've got quite a few huffaz that are not practicing the religion. They only come to the Quran in Ramadan or maybe Sha'ban, one month before Ramadan. <laughs> they, 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 right now, yeah. they're, they're memorizing the parts of the Quran. And it, what's worse is they only memorize the parts they have to read in front of others. <laughs> yeah, so they yeah. don't really know the full Quran. And let's really be honest <clears throat> about it. They don't, they don't know. The, the, you know, they're not practicing the Quran throughout the year. They're not memorizing the Quran throughout the year. Mm. And then some of them have got real bad akhlaq, bad, bad character. Some of them have even gone towards pathways of drugs and other things that they shouldn't have gone through to, towards. And the key thing is this. How could we have prevented that? And the answer is simple. What would, do you want? Do you want your child to grow up and to respect religion, respect Allah's messenger, respect you as parents, respect the society he's living in, and then have few portions memorized of the Quran? Or would you have a child grow up, has memorized all of this, but doesn't have respect mm. for any of these? What would you rather have? I'd rather have the first. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, it's a further kifaya to have a hafiz, further kifaya, which means that once a child in a locality is there who's memorized the Quran, the burden of memorization is taken off of everybody else. Mm. Nobody else is sinful, right? So if parents could understand this, then they need to understand that I'd rather have a good Muslim in my house and a good respectful child who respects me for his life. Mm. Now again, I'm not saying that if you put him to hives, they're not going to respect you. I'm not saying that. So let, let, let's put the, get the balance yeah. right. If you're going to send them to hives, like we've got a hives in, in Safar Academy, Right? But what we do is we make sure that they're covering the syllabus every single week of the Safar publications. Okay. So they're learning all of these you know, religion mm. through the books so that when they become hafiz, another, another thing I want to share with, with, with the, with the um, people who listen to this, a lot of people are sending them to these madaris where, or madrasas where their children are finishing hafiz in two or three years. Right? We yeah. don't do that. Our children finish it in six to seven years. Mm. And a lot of people will be shocked at this. Why? Why are you taking six to seven years? Because yeah. you know what? We want to balance everything. 
we don't want to put too much pressure on these kids. We want them to finish it off slowly but surely. We want them to do their homework at school. We don't want we, we don't want them to suffer at school, right? Mm -hmm. We want them to complete the syllabus that we've got several publications. We want them to love the religion, love the Quran, love the masjid. We want them to become practicing Muslims, right? And if they don't finish it, no problem. Mm -hmm. And we keep on telling the parents, don't put pressure on them. Because when you put pressure on children to finish in two to three years where they're seeing no gaming, no social world, nothing at all, and all they're doing is memorizing, 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 no you know, understanding of the religion, you're completely blacked out from the whole world. You know what happens to the children? These children have a craving for the world. Mm. And when they finish, you know what? They want to get those games as fast as an eagle that is hungry for, you know, for a prey down there. And then they're hooked onto them. Mm. They're hooked onto the streets. They're hooked onto the things that they couldn't get enough of, right? So there needs to be a balance that you make them do the hives, but, you know, make them balance with all the other worlds of God so that they don't find a deficiency in any one of them. And a craving is not created where they have to fulfill that and they go sort of super off the, off the sort of mm, road. I think that's brilliant. Sheikh Hassanadi, Jazakallah Khair. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've had many, you know, brilliant discussions from the beginning to all the jinn stuff to <laughs> everything else. Uh, I think I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I certainly support you know this this vision um but how can the people watching and listening our Umfeed family how can they support uh, this vision behind suffer publications going forward well well make make a make a visit to uh, suffer publications mm. you know see what we're doing sufferpublications.org this particular year we're doing this whole campaign yeah um, and we're trying to raise, and again, this is a non-profit organization. People need to know that. Mm. Every penny that is invested is reinvested in creating further books. Our books, alhamdulillah, in, in the UK alone, have gone into more than 500 uh, masjid madrasas, you know, places of learning. Across the world, our books have gone to more than 30 countries. Wow. Uh, it's not for profit. So people who have donated, they've donated, uh, and, and it's a sadqa jariya. So it'll be there for, for, you know, till they get to the akhirah, they'll carry on finding it. We've had, mashallah, alhamdulillah, I have to share this news, that we've had people converting to the religion because of our books. Uh, I personally have met people who have converted to the religion mm. by reading our books and so on. We've had parents who've actually um, got the books and they've learned the religion because these books have been created with very easy language so parents have actually learned you know adults out there anyone out there adults you want to learn your religion get hold of the books from sufferpublications.org and then just just read them and just see everything's based on quran and sunnah there's nothing mm. that you would find that you know is not backed up by by, by evidence but the big campaign that we're doing uh this year uh, if you can share it with the with the viewers inshallah and um uh, they, they can just donate towards mm. this because we we are actually printing uh, over a hundred thousand books and we want mm. it to go across the world uh, it, we, we're trying you know it's going to cost us just the printing cost is going to be about a hundred and seventy five thousand uh, pounds and anything that comes back is going to be reinvested in creating new books but we've got further books mm. coming out so mm. we're working on book eight now of the Islamic study series We've got a very interesting thing for, for viewers um, is not only are we going to go up to book 11, we're going to complete the syllabus, which, which is going to have a comprehensive understanding of the religion. But we've now got this coming year, uh, this year, 2019, we've got um, all our, our script, the, the, the writing in our books. Uh, so far, we based it on what's commonly found in the sort of um, non-Arab world. Mm. But now we've got all the scripture this year 
the writing, the, the calligraphy style is based upon the Medina Quran. Okay. So simultaneously, both <clears throat> are going to be there. Right. So again, you need to visit our website, publications.org, uh, and the works that we've done uh, literally is is with with a lot of um, feedback, a lot of consultation. Mm. We've gone through what's out there in the world, and we're trying to create something that is bespoke and something that has been hasn't been done beforehand. So, if nothing else, then your du'as. You know, give us du'as and, and, and let us sort of move forward. But if you can share the link later on, inshallah, inshallah. Uh, for the support of this campaign, then we're trying to raise these funds for this, inshallah. Inshallah. Barakallah, Fiqh, May Allah bless you yeah. and, uh, and, and on your works. And uh, thank you once again for, for joining us. It's been thank a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, for all of our viewers and listeners, inshallah, do support uh, Safra Publications and the work that Sheikh Hassan Ali and the team are doing. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we hope you're enjoying it so far, inshallah. Uh, from your host, Shabir, I hope to be back soon. Take care of yourselves. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.